us are going to be in Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1. We were there last week. Uh, we uh, will finish Romans 1 tonight. Uh, we're going to be uh, in chapter 1 uh, this afternoon, or, well, might be this afternoon. But uh, right now, this morning, we're going to still be in Romans chapter 1. So one more time, let's stand to our feet when you find that text, Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. We'll stand in honor of reading God's Word in His house. Glad you're here today. Hope you enjoy your day uh, tomorrow, uh, the 4th of July. Uh, and I hope you have a great time with family, wherever you might be. I gave the message today a title called, Where Are You? And uh, we'll discover the meaning of that uh, here shortly. Verse 16. Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Let's pray. Father, bless us. Father, help us not to be the people you just described here. Help us to be the people that understand the gospel and receive it by faith and receive your righteousness. I pray today you help us all discover where we are. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Where are you? Well, in contrast to a couple of things. In verse 17, we find that in the gospel, we find the righteousness of God. In the gospel, we find the righteousness of God, according to verse 17. In verse 18, however, we find the wrath of God against the unrighteousness of men. So there are two things that we have a choice to make. We either receive the righteousness of God or we live opposed to it and we live in the unrighteousness of men. You know, the first question that God ever asked man was that question, where are you? You remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned and they hid themselves covering their nakedness with fig leaves. They hid themselves and God came looking for them in Genesis chapter 3 and he asked Adam, where are you? Why was Adam hiding from God? Why was he hiding? Because he had sinned. Amen. He had sinned against God. And so he was hiding from God and God came looking for him. And you know what? God's still asking that same question to every one of us today. Where are you? Long ago he asked me that question. 
And I, I suppressed that question. I, I, I dodged that question. I got away from that question because I, I, I didn't want to answer that question. But eventually in my life, he brought me to a place where I could not refuse to hear that question. And I knew that it deserved an answer in my life. And I was hiding from God. Same for all of you in this room. If you're a Christian, at one time in your life, you were hiding from God because of your sin. And he brought that question to you. Some of you, he's still asking that question this morning. Where are you? He's not concerned about your location. Do you understand? He's concerned about the condition of your heart, the condition of your life. That's what God is interested in. Until you answer that question, there's nothing more that God can say to you. He can't teach you. He can't tell you about himself. He can't give you instruction. He can't give you advice until you answer the question of where are you? It would be like this. You invited a friend this morning to church. And just before you came into the sanctuary, they called you on their cell phone and you answered and, and they said, hey, I was gonna, coming to church this morning, but I'm lost. What would be the first question you asked them? Where are you? I can't give you instructions unless I know where you are. I can't give you instructions unless you know where you are. Today we might think that we're in some place, but actually we're in another place in the universe, in the kingdom of God, in the realm of earth and heaven. You might feel like you're somewhere, but actually you're in another place. You might feel like you've got it together, but if you haven't answered the question that God asked you, where are you, then you don't know where you are, and you don't know how to receive instruction. If I gave a person who called me and said they're lost, and I gave them instructions on how to get there without knowing where they are, it would be confusing to them, right? Have you ever tried to give instructions, uh, directions to a, a woman? You guys, now some of you country girls have got it. You know north, south, east, and west. But most ladies go, you go down that road and you turn left. And then you make a right. Well, which way am I coming from? It doesn't matter. You turn left on that road. They have it in their mind the way they're going, but they can't express it to you which way they're going. And so it's confusing to have directions. You got to know where you are before you can receive instruction. And especially that is the way with God. So the first man had to answer that question, where are you, Adam? And Adam said, I was hiding because I sinned. And every one of us must answer that same question. Now, we have a debate in the world today about people not being able to uh, hear or receive the message of God. We believe that there are people that somehow in the dark the regions of South America or in the deserts of the Siberian or in Africa somewhere, we believe there's people that's never heard of God. But according to Paul, that's not so. According to Paul, every man has an opportunity to know and understand the Creator God. You understand? You see that? Let's look at that again. For since creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. 
clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Every human being has an understanding of God. Every human being has a way of seeing, knowing there is one. God put it within man, says it here in our text. God made it evident within them, and then he made it evident to them by what he has made. Oh, they may not have received the high school level gospel presentation that you and I receive. But any time that a man seeks out the truth of the creator God, God will take care of saving that man. You see that? Everybody has an opportunity, has had, has heard, has seen God, experienced God, understood that there is a God. Plenty of opportunities have been given by our Father. He took the initiative in making himself known, not necessarily you and I seeking for him. He came seeking for us. No one dies without the knowledge of God, okay? It's in them. It's evident to them by what has been made. God's characteristics, God's divine nature, His eternal power, His invisible attributes have been clearly seen by all men. So don't think there's somebody off in a jungle somewhere that had no chance of ever knowing God. According to Paul, that's not so. Amen? According to Scripture, according to God, that is not so. The universal revelation of God has been plain to mankind from the beginning. God took the responsibility, as I said, to make himself known. So how does God make himself known? By the things that he has made. David also agreed with that in the psalm. Look on the screen with me. Psalm 19, David writes, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. God makes himself known by what he has made. Amen? Now what happens is heartbreaking. Men suppress that. They suppress that knowledge. They hide it. They get away from it. We all have heard of this young lady, Helen Keller. Haven't you heard of her? And the lady that took her and helped her and taught her was Anne Sullivan. You know, Helen Keller... and in her childhood lost her sight, her hearing, and her speech. She could not hear, she could not see, and she could not talk. And this woman came alongside of her and began to help her and to instruct her and to teach her. And you see what they're doing there? They're touching fingers. That's how they communicated. They developed an alphabet and a way of communicating by finger pressure in certain places on the hand, to determine speech. Mrs. Sullivan got concerned with Helen's salvation. And so you've heard of a famous preacher named Philip Brooks. Well, Mrs. Sullivan knew him and asked uh, Reverend Brooks to come to the house and share the gospel with Helen. 
And so Mr. Brooks sat down in a chair and he spoke to Mrs. Sullivan and Mrs. Sullivan communicated with Helen seated in another chair. And when they got to the place of the presentation, Mr. Brooks said, do you believe in God? Mrs. Sullivan communicated that to Helen and it was said that her face began to brighten and shine and she said, Yes, I believe in him. I've known him for a long, long time. No man dies without the knowledge of God. Okay? Paul expresses that to us. So something drastic happens, as I said. God is not looking for our location. He's revealing to ourselves and to himself the condition of our heart how do i answer that question well in hebrews chapter 11 it says i answer it like this and without faith it is impossible to please god for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him all right so you have the knowledge of this god this creator god And you want to come to him. And the Bible says you do that by faith because you can't see him. You can't touch him. You can't hear him audibly necessarily. You hear him with your heart. You hear him with your mind. You hear him through scripture. But there's things about God that we cannot touch and feel. So by faith we come to him. And that faith is put into action. I can't just think like I did when I was a child. I believed in God, but I never came to Him. I believed in His existence, but I never knew Him until I became a man. And God called me, and I accepted that calling. I I took that answer question, and I answered it. I told Him, I've been hiding from you. And at that moment, my life was changed as I received the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point of the Hebrew text there in Hebrews 11 is the fact that God is a creator God and he is a responder to people. He's not far off in the atmosphere, in the, in the universe somewhere that we can't reach him, that we can't communicate with him. We go to him by faith and we believe that he'll respond to us. And that's what that verse says, does it not? It says that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we go looking for God after he has asked us that question. We find him. He rewards us with himself. Amen. He rewards us with salvation. And this is all accomplished through faith. Not blind faith, mind you. Not blind faith. When I was a boy, I'd lay on my back and look at the stars. I never believed that happened by chance. I never understood how people could think that that would happen by chance. This watch on my wrist, right? Where did you get that, Brother Clay? I was walking across the street one day, and all these pieces of metal were laying in the street, and I reached down to pick one up, and they all jumped together and became this watch. Can you believe that? It was amazing. The Big Bang Theory. It just happened that way. That's ridiculous, is it not? How could we look at the universe and the order of the galaxies and the order of our own solar system and think that it all happened by chance? That you are by chance. That there's no purpose for you being here. You just happened to crawl out of a pool of water millions and millions and millions of years ago. That's who you are, according to science. 
I never could accept that. I never believed I came from a monkey. I never thought that. I, I wouldn't believe that. I, I was heard, taught that. We heard that. But I never could accept it. I always believed there was a God somewhere, somehow, who made all of this. But I did not know him until he asked me that question. Where are you, Clay? Where are you, Clay? And I answered that long ago in my life. I had to accept the fact that God is sovereign. He has a right to be who he is. He has a right to make decisions that he makes. I may not like them. I may not agree with them. I may not want them. But God, in my heart and life, has a right to be who he is and who he says he is. He has a right to the purposes that he's made and the plans that he's made and the grace that he offers. He who comes to God must act upon that faith that he believes. And when he comes to God, he's expecting a response. And lo and behold, God is a responder to man. And he responds to us and he gives us what we're after. Now, there are people in the world who don't do that. They hear that question and they don't come to him. They don't respond to him. They know he's there. They, they, it's been put within man to know there is a God. And they understand that, but they suppress that truth in ungodly and unrighteous living. That's what verse 18 is telling us. Now, verse 21 tells us what happens when God asks the question to many people. Look at 21 again. For even though they knew God. You see that? Every man knows there's a God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Wow. That plays out in every heart. Uh, the revelation of God, the revelation of a sovereign God, a God who is to be worshipped, a God who is to be honored, a God who is to be given thanks, and the battle begins in the heart and life of every human being. It's happening right now in this place. There's a spiritual battle that takes place in every person when the question is answered, asked of them, where are you? And so we have to make a determination. What am I going to do? Am I going to worship this God that I know is there? Or am I going to follow my upbringing? Am I going to follow the religion of my fathers across the river? Am I going to follow the culture that I live in? Am I going to follow the customs that I have been trained to or am i going to follow this god that i know is there it's a decision that every man has to make it's a decision that all of you have made and some of you need to make will i follow society and the pressures that they put upon me or will i surrender my heart and life into the hands of the living god it's a decision that must be made Will I be faithful to the evidence that is around me or will I yield to the world's pressure that God does not exist? That God is dead. Which one will you do? Where will you go? Where are you in that camp? Where are you in that train of thought? Will you surrender your life to his hands? This is what Paul writes the record of mankind is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God. Amen? 
You see that? No one dies without understanding and knowing God. Now, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, a great poet, said it like this. Earth is crammed with heaven and every bush aflame with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Okay? Can't say it much better than that. Now, Paul writes and tells us what happens. These people, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. What were they doing? They're trying to snuff Him out. They're trying to keep Him silent. They don't want to recognize Him. They don't want to give Him any time. You know what happened in the 1960s in our country? When I was a boy in the sixth grade, if I remember right, they said and came in, the principal came into our room and said, we can't say prayers anymore in school. Why not? In sixth grade, a boy, whatever, you know, didn't matter to me. I remember my teacher leading us in a prayer. I remember my teacher reading the Bible to us. In the 60s, that was taken away. And it goes on and goes on. Now they're trying to take the Ten Commandments out of the public square. Amen? Why is that happening? What's going on with that? Society is trying to silence God. That's all it is. They don't want to hear what God has to say. They don't want to give him a moment. They don't want to give him an ear. They would rather suppress him and live unrighteously. And so that's what Paul is describing to us today. I hope that's not you. I hope you are listening. I hope that you were willing to answer the question of where are you today. But the world seems to be trying to silence God. And it's time, Christian, that you and I stand up and stop allowing that to happen in our power, in my home, in my kingdom, in my workplace, at my school, where I live, what I do. I want God to be involved. I want God to be a part. I want God to be honored and to be thanked. Men, let me ask you a question. If you were walking in the church this morning and a lady was in front of you and she happened to drop her handkerchief or a Bible or anything and you reached down to pick it up and you handed it to her, what would she say to you? Thank you. Thank you. That's a simple act of kindness. But yet the world wants to silence God and not thank Him for the food on their plate or the roof over their head or the job that supplies money to buy those things. The world doesn't want to give God thanks. They knew Him. They know Him. They know of Him, but they don't honor Him and they do not give Him thanks. What a scary place to be. Now, what's the result of that? Let's go on in verse 21. It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. What is it to be futile in your speculation? It means the ideas and the clever little schemes that men come up with to perform and to act and to maybe make life better, they will fail. How many government programs have we seen established way back in the beginning of our country have failed 
Let me list or name a few from a list. The New Deal started under Roosevelt, fell on its face. We also had something called the Fair Deal. We had something called the New Society. We had something called the People of Honor. We had something called the Great Recovery. And today, what do we have? The New Green Deal. Amen? They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Man cannot operate under man's wisdom. Man needs God. And when you suppress the truth of God, you begin to think crookedly. You begin to have speculations that will fall apart. He goes on to say that you will have a darkened heart. What does that mean? That means that violence will ramp up. What do we see on TV every time we turn it on? When I was a kid, hardly ever was there a killing in Oklahoma City. A few years ago, it was one every morning reported on the news. Just this last week, there were four separate murders in Oklahoma City in the middle of the Bible Belt. Could you imagine what the rest of the nation is going through? Do you understand what's happening? Our hearts are darkened. Violence ramps up. People lose compassion. And people don't want to get involved. All of this happening because we suppress the truth about God. We try to silence Him. Also consider verse 22. Look at it with me. Professing to be wise, they became fools. How many people do you know today that don't believe in a God but yet they know all there is to know, right? I, I, I almost cackle a little bit when I talk to somebody like that because they are atheistic in their approach to God, but yet they claim to know everything in the universe. And they can operate it and they can run it because they are wise. Verse 22 says, They, came, they professed to be wise, but they became fools. They lose their moral compass. Have you ever turned on the news to watch the news giving evidence of people around our country and it just almost turns your stomach of the behavior and the way people act today? Publicly, dressing, changing sexes, doing all kinds of evil and wicked things that never would have been brought out in public 30, 40 years ago, but today it happens. Why? They've lost their moral compass. They are unable to think straight. They are unable to reason properly. They are unable to make sound decisions. Look what the Lord says here in 2 Thessalonians. But the Lord was pleased. Oh, I don't have it in there. I'm sorry. I thought I had it, but I don't. Okay, maybe I passed it. Did it go past, Russell? 2 Thessalonians? Aha, here we go. The one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Do you think that deluding influence is here now? I believe it is. 
I believe we're experiencing it right here in our own country. I believe God is pouring out his wrath, so to speak, even now. And that's where I want to go with this next thing, the cause and effect of the wrath of God. Now, we've talked about the people that caused this wrath to come. But when you look there again with me in verse 18, you see, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now, it almost sounds like a mis translation because when I think about the wrath of God I think about the end times I think about the tribulation period I think about God's wrath being poured out upon the sin of the world and the judgment of mankind but that verse says it's happening now we always picture it happening in the future but here it says it's happening now how can that be happening now the wrath of God. Maybe it's not all entailed in the judgment of God upon mankind and the sin of mankind. Maybe it's involved in a, another way. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Is it possible that the God of love could become wrathful? Is it possible that the God of light and grace could become angry with man? Could it be possible that this God sends out his wrath while he's sending out love simultaneously? According to Scripture, the answer would be yes. God sends out his love for mankind, especially those of the household of faith who become his children, but at the same time his wrath goes out against ungodly living and against unrighteous living. How does God feel when an innocent child is slaughtered? How does that make God feel? How does God feel when a woman is raped? How does God feel when we lie to one another? How does God feel when we cheat someone or we cheat on our taxes? How does God feel when somebody calls good evil and evil good? How does he feel about that? We, we think, well, he, he ought to wipe us off the face of the earth now, but he doesn't. He loves us. He's patient with us. He calls us to himself. He begins by this, where are you, question. He wants you to understand that. So is God silent when it comes to people hurting and people suffering and people killing? No, he's not silent, and he's not indifferent to it. Then why doesn't he act? The Bible says he is acting. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven right now. Amen? So let's talk about that. A God, you know, when I was a kid, my, uh, my dad, and I don't want to associate him with the wrath of God, but there were times when I needed some wrath put across my backside. And you know what? My dad would do that. And it would hurt. And I wouldn't like it. But I became a man, and I realized something. He was doing that because he loved me. He was disciplining me because he cared about me. And he didn't want me to grow up making those same mistakes as an adult. And I look back on my life and I see times when I could have made a very poor decision, but I remember that across my backside. And I said, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And I learned from that. The same way with God. 
even though God's wrath is poured out now on ungodliness and unrighteousness, any of you ever committed that before? Of course, we all have. We've all done ungodly things. We've done unrighteous things. God allows that wrath to come, discipline and to punish and to turn us to him. Amen? So, in actuality, I love it that my God is a God of wrath. Because his wrath steered me to Jesus Christ. God allowed the circumstances of my sin to point me towards the Savior. And man, I was all about meeting Jesus. A man who would give his life for me. A man who would die in my place. God coming in the form of man, giving his life so that we could live. When I heard that gospel message, I was all over it. I needed that in my life, and I wanted that in my life. And so God is a God of love, while at the same time, he is a God of wrath. The Bible speaks of wrath often, amen, not just here, but throughout the scripture. So I would think that it's something that you and I need to take seriously if God keeps bringing up the fact about wrath. Notice in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That means we. That doesn't mean the axe murderer or the rapist. It doesn't mean the bad guys. It means all ungodliness. And yet at the same time, God offers grace through all of that. And God offers himself to those who would see and take off their shoes and come to that flaming bush that is alive with God to receive God's forgiveness. Think about God and his wrath. He didn't pick and choose, all right? We go back to the Old Testament and we find something happened in heaven. We find that even before creation, the devil was cast out with his rebellious angels out of heaven. God's wrath was poured out at that moment. We think about the flood in Genesis chapter 6. God's wrath was poured upon the world at that moment. We think about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed for its homosexual behaviors, and God's wrath was poured out on those communities because God steers men to him. God loves, God cares, God punishes, God disciplines. Think about one more instance of wrath. About 2,000 years ago, a man carried a cross to the top of Golgotha Hill. They nailed him to it. They picked it up and sank it in a hole. Thud. And the wrath of God was poured out on that man. For you and for me. You see that? There's coming another wrath of God in the future. I mentioned it a moment ago, the tribulation period, when the wrath of God is finalized and he judges the world for its sin. Just like the flood, but this time it's not destroyed by water. It will annihilate mankind, so to speak. It will wipe the slate clean. It will do away with evil. And God has predicted it. Now, God could have stopped the death of Jesus. He could have very well have changed the, the course of salvation and created it another way. 
but he didn't. How do we know that? Because Isaiah chapter 53 tells us so. Look at the screen. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. God warns us of the coming wrath. God wants you to understand that it will happen. God is preparing a way for you to miss that. God says that the the way to that wrath is broad and its gate is wide and many people will enter it. But God provides a way through his son, Jesus Christ, for you to bypass that wrath, for you to miss out on that judgment. But even in that wrath, God is fair. He doesn't do it because he's angry. He doesn't do it and become regretful for doing it. God does it because he loves you. And he wants you to see that. He would change the world for you if you would listen to that question, where are you? He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He cries out to all of mankind, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. God loves, God cares. But right now we have wrath. What is this wrath, so to speak? We don't see God dropping dead people uh, Every time they sin, what is this wrath? Well, think about it. What's the result of of wickedness? What's the result of, of evil? Despair. People who are affected by that end up in despair over what's taken place. So that's the wrath of God, despair. We can go a step further and we can talk about uh, what is the result of sin? Misery. We've all experienced that. Maybe you know somebody in your family who's right in the middle of sin right now, and they are in misery over it. That's the wrath of God, the misery of the sin that takes place. What about drug addiction? We've all been touched by that in one way or another. What's the result of that? Disease, death, illness. Those are the wrath of God being played out against the suppression of the truth in ungodly living. So the wrath of God is not that he annihilates us and slams a thunderbolt down on somebody. He allows the circumstances, the consequences of that sin to play out. That's his wrath. That's what God is telling us this morning. With these results, then comes the wrath of God, ungodly living. Let me ask you this morning, perhaps you are right in the middle of wrath. Perhaps your life is not joyful. Perhaps your life is despair. Perhaps your life is illness. Perhaps your life is something going on and you have no control and it is tearing you up and you are in misery over it. Do you understand? That's the wrath of God and he's asking you this question, where are you? Come out of that. Come to me. Turn to me and be saved. That's what God is desiring this morning for us. Tonight I want to finish this chapter, and I want you to look at three things tonight that we're going to cover. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. Verse 26. For this reason, 
God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over. There comes a time when God gives up on you. You've suppressed the truth long enough. You've hidden from God long enough. And he's going to give up on you. And he's going to turn you over to that life. That's what we'll read about tonight when God gives up. Don't let that happen to you. Hear that question. Answer that question. Tell him where you are. Tell him where you want to be. And he will respond to you. That's who he is. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless today for us. Bless this word in the hearts and lives of all the people that have heard it this morning. Father, we know that we hide from you because of sin. We know that question is asked. We know that you are creator. We know that you are evident to all. We understand that, Lord. But we have such difficulty in coming and staying hooked up and living for you and walking with you, Lord. We need your help. If you respond to us, Lord, then give us that encouragement and give us that heart's desire to be your child. Give us the strength to turn from this world and the culture that we live. Give us the strength to not suppress the truth. Give us the strength to crawl out from under the rock we've been living under. Give us the strength to leave the pig pen and come home. Father, bless us with that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.